Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, we're in week four, our final week of our series called Made Whole that we've been talking about through the Christmas season. And today we're going to talk about giving glory back to God. Our text comes from Luke chapter 2, part of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 8 through 14. This is the story of the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. We're going to be reading as they're passing the tray, so that's okay. Let's uh, stand and read together uh, from God's Word. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. Again, we stand and read week in and week out to be reminded that this is where truth comes from, not what somebody thinks, not what somebody said, not where you read somewhere else. We don't have to wonder what God thinks, right? Because he wrote it down, so we stand each week to be reminded that this is where truth comes from, from God's Word. So Luke chapter 2, let's read uh, beginning at verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. <laughs> I was reading the ESV. All right, let's, you may be seated. Thank, you know, the guys in the back told me that was going to happen. <laughs> Anyhow, I wanted to um, use the uh, old NIV version for that last little bit, which says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to all men on whom his favor rests. That's what you got on the screen, and sure enough, I botched it. So um, let's uh, begin there at verse 8. It says, And in the same region, the region of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now let's take a quick peek at our map here. You can see Bethlehem behind me. It's south of Jerusalem, more kind of southwest than what this map actually represents. Um, it's about six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, not a very far distance. Um, when Jerusalem was full, when there were a lot of people in town, when there was a festival going on, when there was one of the feasts happening, when the tabernacle was busy, um, a lot of people coming from out of town needed a place to stay. And so Bethlehem was one of those towns, one of those spillover communities or suburbs of the big city, like Bethany to the east, Bethlehem to the south, would have been a place where people would have come to stay who were in Jerusalem visiting. And so it's no wonder um, at this particular time of year, when Mary and Joseph come to bring baby Jesus, there were probably some festivals going on that the, there was no room in any of the inns, right? There was no room in any of the hotels. The Holiday Inn was booked, and uh, so there was no place for them to stay. So that is in keeping with what would have been happening at that time. So take a look at our map again, because there's a really another really interesting fact that's happening here. Um, between the city of Bethlehem and Jerusalem to the north, was what was called the Hills of Ramos. The Hills of Ramos was a green pasture land territory where the sheep that were going to be sacrificed at the temple were grazing. Uh, these sheep were kept there. They were kind of housed there in the tens and uh, hundreds of thousands um, at certain times of the year. People would go to Jerusalem. They would, pay, they would purchase a ticket or a token, and then their lamb would be brought to them on the day of Passover. And so the lambs were kept alive, were kept uh, grazing in this particular pasture land territory. When the scripture reads that there were, you know, sheep need shepherds, right? And so when the scripture reads that there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night, 
outside of Bethlehem in that region, well, that's absolutely in keeping with the historical and the geographical data, which tells us that the Bible is a historically accurate book, that the Bible is a truthful book, that the Bible is trustworthy. Verse 9 says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now imagine this for a moment. The shepherds are out there on the hillside. They're watching over their flocks. It's the middle of the night. There's some stars shining, perhaps the moon shining. I'm not sure what it was doing at a particular time of year. They had a little campfire out in front of them. It was long after dinner, so the embers were just kind of flickering there in the little campfire. And in the middle of the night, all of a sudden, this angel appears above them. This angel from God appears um, hovering above their position, um, and the sky lights up. Right? There's no street lights back then. Um, there's, no, uh, there's no planes flying over little blinking lights. There's nothing going on in the sky but the stars and perhaps the moon. And all of a sudden, this angel appears, and this angel, it says, shone around them. So it's reflecting the glory of God. I mean, the whole place lit up. It's like daytime. They go from nighttime to daytime in an instant. And so you can imagine this kind of freaks them out. The Greek word that's used there for the glory, it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. The Greek word that's used there for glory is the word doxa. And doxa literally means brilliance or brightness. So this great brightness, this great brilliance shines and lights up the whole area where these shepherds happen to be watching their flocks. So the glory of God is the brightness, the emanating light, if you would, that secretes, lack of a better word, that's what I come up with this week, that secretes from God. Um, God, if you think about it that way, just secretes light. Um, it's an impenetrable light. It's a light that just oozes from every pore of God's uh, personhood. It is interesting that when God spoke the universe into existence, what's the very first thing that God created? Let there be light. That is, and it wasn't the light from the sun. It wasn't the light from some star. It was the light that God himself put into our universe. That is, God put his presence into our physical universe. Um, <clears throat> now, light is not an attribute of God. It's not like his holiness uh, or that God is love. It's not like God is, uh, light, you know, we don't think of God being light as like, like we think of God as just. Light just happens to be the result of when God is present. So when God walks into a room, when God is in a particular space, there's light. It just comes from him. It oozes out of every part of him. Um, think of it like this. Our sun is not made up of light, right? The sun that lights up our, our, our part of the universe. Um, our, our sun is made up of gases. And those gases, though, when they burn, they give off light, right? And so it's the same way. God's not made up of light, but when God is present, what results from God's presence is light. And it's just the same there with God. Um, this is why there will be no sun when we get to heaven, because God's presence will be there. We'll be in the presence of God. God will be the, all the light that we need when we get to heaven. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 23 reads, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God give it light. And its lamp is the Lamb, referring to the Lord Jesus. This is why Moses, after he met with God up on Mount Sinai, Moses had been in God's presence. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 29 that the skin of Moses' face shone because he had been talking with God. He had gotten into God's presence, and the residue, if you would, of God and being in his presence is that Moses' face reflected light. Moses' face reflected that glory, that brilliance, that brightness that had been cast upon him when he walked out of God's presence, it was still 
glowing, right? There's a Hebrew word there for glory. It's the word kabod. And in the Old Testament, when the Ark of the Covenant was captured and taken to Philistine territory, the Ark of the Covenant signified the presence of God. And it said that a pregnant woman at the time who was about ready to give birth on the same day that the Ark of the Covenant was taken out of Israel to the Philistine camp, 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 21, says that she named the child Ik Abode, saying the, the Kabod or the glory of God has been captured. Verse 22, the glory, the Kabod, has departed from Israel. That word Ik meaning not, Kabod meaning his glory or light, that God's glory was gone. And so she named her child what we know today as Ichabod, right? that God's glory has departed and had left Israel. And that beautiful night of Jesus' birth, the angels show up glowing, because where do the angels hang out? Who do they hang out with? With God, right? So just like Moses' face was glowing, so the angels are glowing. And so they show up, and they're, they're emanating light, and they're reflecting the very light that has been reflected upon them by being in the presence of God. Skip on down to verse 13. It says, verse 13, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. You say, well, how many is a multitude? How many angels are we talking about? Are we talking about a hundred? Are we talking about a thousand angels? Are we talking about tens of thousands of angels in the sky? I have no idea. All the Bible says is that a multitude. They say that in the scriptures that multitudes of people follow the Lord Jesus around. These were crowds of thousands, perhaps bigger. And so we imagine it's more than five or six, right? It's a multitude, whatever that means in your mind. And certainly in the biblical author's mind, it meant something pretty significant, a large number. And they're singing, verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. That is, they're singing, give God honor. Give God praise. Worship him. Fall down and worship him. We would say glorify him because he's so brilliant, because he's so bright, because he's so unlike the rest of us. He emanates light out of every fiber of his being. It's just natural when you get in his presence to want to hit your knees and worship him. Or, in the case of the shepherds, if you skip back to verse 9, it says, they were filled with great fear. That word in the Greek, fear, that's translated fear, is the word phobeo. And literally it means they were scared to death. This is not just like, oh, that's kind of scary, right? Uh, this, is, this is the kind of fear of, I'm fearful for my life. Um, uh, something, something's, something's happening here where I might die. And so they see God's glory, and it's so overwhelming to them that they're literally scared to death, scared for their life. But they eventually do come back around verse 20, the end of the story. It says, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. So to glorify God, according to verse 20 there, says that to glorify God is synonymous with praising God, singing to him, saying wonderful things about him, expressing our love to him because he's worthy of it, because he deserves it. All right, well, that's our text for today, and that's our treatment of this uh, Luke chapter 2 verses of the shepherds in the field. So that means it's time for us to ask our most important question. It's this question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? Say, Gordon, I've heard that story hundreds of times, 
Uh, I've watched it on the Peanuts cartoons every Christmas, and uh, my mom read it to me. I've heard it when I was VBS. We were singing about it this morning. I mean, you know, what difference does all this make to my life? Well, let's talk about that. You see, the issue here, what the angels are encouraging the shepherds to do is to give God the glory, not themselves. The angels are declaring that God gets 100% of the credit. The angels are declaring that God should get 100% of the prestige of this moment. They're declaring that God should get 100% of the praise and that we, like the shepherds, should get, who say, 0% of the praise. This reminds me of King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David makes an offering for the building of the new temple. But this offering does not come from the public funds. Rather, this offering comes from David's personal bank account. And the scriptures tell us how much money David gives for the building of the new temple. It says that he gave 7,000 talents. Now, I shared with you last week about a talent. A talent is 75 pounds of silver. You do the math. David gave 7,000 talents of silver. And he also says that he gave, that's about 250, a little north of $250 million in today's terms. But that's not where David stopped. David gave 3,000 talents of gold, which is, when you put it all together, worth north of $5 billion in today's money. That's a pretty serious gift that David gives. And again, this was his own, out of his own personal bank account. You got to love David's attitude here when he says, 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to even give as generously as this. And here's how we're able to do it, he says. Everything comes from you, O Lord. We have given you only what comes from your hand. The point is that David was acutely aware that none of his success, that none of his wealth, none of his victories, none of his achievements, none of the blessings that David has enjoyed over the course of his life, that none of this belongs to David, but rather that God was responsible for it all. None of it happened because David was such a wise and wonderful person. It happened because God's hand allowed these things and these blessings to come into David's life. David wanted to make sure, absolutely sure, that all the glory for everything in his life went to Almighty God. Now, do you see a message here for the church today? I do. And uh, when I think about this, um, well, first let me say that when I, one of the things I see happening in the church today, when I talk about happening in the church today, I'm not talking about in the liberal church today, I'm talking about in Bible-believing evangelical churches today, um, in my opinion, is a lot of self-glorification and is a lot of self-promotion and a lot of self-exaltation that we do not have an issue with that in the church today, but really I think we have an epidemic in the church today. If you ever turn on the television set and watch some of the TV preachers that come along uh, over the course of the day, what you find out there is that we've got a cult of personality going on in Bible-believing evangelical churches today. Um, pastors are proselytizing themselves and touting their success in the name of helping others. But really, much of it is in this name of self-glorification and self-promotion and book sales 
and self-exaltation. They may be saying glory to God in the highest, but really that's not what their actions are saying. Friends, as followers of Christ, we are able to love the Lord Jesus. We are to love him, not the man or the woman in the mirror. It's all about the Lord Jesus. It's all about the one to whom those angels were singing. And as followers of Christ, we should, re- we should reject, we should be mortified by self-glory and self-promotion and self-exaltation. We need to stop thinking about our lives in terms of our prestige and our position and our title and what we're going to get out of the situation and our notoriety and, our, and even, even amongst the saints. And instead, we must make God the center of our lives. We may, must make God's glory the paramount issue of our lives. Now, what difference does that make to you and me? Well, for one, if God decides to exalt somebody else instead of you, and it brings him glory, then we should be okay with that. Not only that, but we should rejoice with that. We should rejoice in somebody else having some success. I sincerely believe that the front rows of heaven will be occupied by the least recognized. Everybody's going to be saying, who is that person up there on the front row? Right? What did they do that was so great? I don't even know who that is. Friends, I think that that's in God's economy, that's the way things will work. You say, well, Gordon, are you saying that it's wrong to be successful? Are you saying that it's wrong to be a person of, of notoriety? Well, no, not at all. There's nothing wrong with success. David was successful. There's nothing wrong with being well-known. Mother Teresa was well-known. But the difference between these folks and others is that these people made a, name for, made a name not for themselves while here on earth, but rather they made a name for God. That's who they made a name for. Everything about their life pointed toward the Lord. And this is why John the Baptist said, John chapter 3 and verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. Or why Paul and Barnabas, when they arrived back to Antioch after their first missionary journey, shared with the church in Acts chapter 14 and verse 27, it says, And when they they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that who had done? All that God had done through them and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas didn't report what they had done. Paul and Barnabas reported what God had done. Or how about Christian leaders like Jim Elliott? The missionary who died in 1956 trying to reach the Aukin Indians in South America, Jim Elliott said these words, We are just a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt the great somebody. I love the words of Dwight L. Moody commenting on Moses. He said, and I quote, Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking that he was somebody. He spent 40 years in the desert learning that he was a nobody and 40 years showing what God can do with the somebody who realizes that he's a nobody. Did you get that? Okay, well, I have a challenge for us today. I want to challenge us as true followers of Jesus Christ to follow the example of Paul and Barnabas, to follow the example of King David, to follow the example of Jim Elliott and Dwight L. Moody, and that is to join the angels in singing glory to God in the highest. Not glory to myself, but glory to him who is worthy and deserving of all of our praise. Not just to mean it in our hearts that Jesus should get the credit, that Jesus should get the glory, that Jesus should be praised for every good thing and success in our lives. Not just to mean that in our hearts, but also to say it with our mouths. 
to the people in our lives around us. What I mean by that is so often as followers of Christ, when people see your life and they see my life and they see the stability of our families, they see the stability that happens because we're living lives that are honoring God, and they see that and they think, oh, well, you're such a great person, right? What is it that you are doing right? Friend, we need to open our mouths in those moments and join the Apostle Paul in saying those words from 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. Hey, look, it's not me, it's but by the grace of God that I am who I am. You say, Gordon, all this is wonderful, but when I look into my own heart, I see some stuff that's uh, not so pretty. Uh, I see self-promotion. I see self-exaltation. I see self-glory. I see a guy or a lady who doesn't like it when other people advance and when other people succeed or when other people get into the spotlight. Friends, that is in all of us. Nobody, none of us, is 100% got this all right, singing glory to God all the time in all circumstances. You say, well, then how, what do we do about it? How do we fix this issue in our lives? Well, like with any ugly problem that we have, the first thing that we have to do is we have to admit that we have a problem. We have to admit that sometimes we want to take the glory for ourselves. that sometimes we want to take the credit for ourselves. that sometimes we want to say, yeah, I am somebody of note, right? And yeah, I did this. I, 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 I'm, I'm the result of my success. Sometimes we want to do that. And so we need to admit that we have this problem. We need to come to God on our knees and say, Lord Jesus, I see what's in my heart, and it's not pretty. I, it li- this stuff lives on the inside of me. And then number two, second thing is, We need to ask God to change our hearts. This is what the psalmist was talking about when he wrote Psalm 51 and verse 10. He said, create in me or create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Friends, that needs to be our prayer because newsflash, you you and I can't change ourselves. He's asking for God to change what's on the inside. We can change our behavior. We can stop doing certain things outwardly, but we can't change the substance of what is on the inside. And so that's why the psalmist said, you, O God, do what I can't do for myself. You create in me a clean heart. You make me different on the inside. And friends, if we'll ask him, he'll do it. I want to close today by sharing with you a story about the life of Robert Jaffrey. Robert Jaffrey was a missionary to China in the early through to the mid-1950s, um, or through the 1900s, about 1950. And he helped open up that part of the world, China, today, to what we know w- with all that's going on in China, with the gospel and millions of people coming to Christ. Uh, Robert Jaffrey was on the front end of a lot of that. Jaffrey spent the last three years of his life in a Japanese internment camp as his punishment for sharing the good news about Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about Jaffrey is that he came from money. He came from a lot of money. His dad built Canada's largest newspaper publication, the Toronto Globe, and Robert Jaffrey was set to inherit that business and all of the wealth that came along with it. But Jaffrey knew that God had other plans for his life, and so he began learning Chinese with plans to go on to the mission field soon after. As he was nearing time to leave, he got a call from the Standard Oil Company. The Standard Oil Company recognized that Jaffrey had a great skill set. They wanted him to come work for him. They didn't want him to go off to the mission field. Perhaps there's a little bit of family thing going on behind there, trying to pull the strings and keep him from going. Nevertheless, Standard Oil Company said, hey, Jaffrey, we want you to come work for us. Well, Jaffrey refused. He was planning on going to China. He was planning on going to the mission field. He spent all this time learning Chinese. He knew that God had had this call in his life, 
he wanted to go in obedient response to that. Finally, the Standard Oil Company offered him a huge salary to come and work for them instead of being a missionary, but he turned it down. They uh, wrote back and doubled the offer. He refused. On Christmas Eve night, finally, they sent him a telegram saying these words, Jaffrey, at any price. Jaffrey sent back to them a very short statement that said, your salary is big, but your job is too small. Your salary is big, but your job is too small. Jaffrey could have chosen a life of self-promotion and self-exaltation and prestige, but instead he chose to join the angels in singing with the testimony of his life, glory to God in the highest. Friends, we need to be people who come to the Lord saying, Lord, I've seen what's in my heart. I don't like it. Root it out. Create in me a pure, clean heart, O God. A heart that wants to see you, O Lord, get the credit. A heart that wants to see you, O Lord, get the glory. Friends, my question to you today is, will you make that commitment to the Lord this Christmas season? Will you join the angels in singing with the testimony of your life? Glory to God in the highest. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us today from your word. We thank you for the challenge um, of putting you and your priorities first in our life. Lord, the flesh so badly wants it, our lives to be about us. And Lord, yet we know that it needs to be about you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in us that would turn the substance of our lives inside out, that we would see ourselves poured out for you and for your glory, for your purposes in the world. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning during these quiet moments of communion. We submit ourselves to you in Christ's holy name.